we're going to continue talking about the difference between healthy grace and unhealthy grace. It's important we know the difference because there's a lot of value that we need to have in knowing the grace of God. But there is a danger when it's twisted to where it becomes unhealthy and even dangerous for some people. But as they say, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to limit grace, belittle grace, or make grace a bad word in the gospel. It's probably the most powerful word next to Jesus and the blood of Christ that we need to know about. Grace changed my life. Knowing the grace of God changed the way I viewed myself, the way I viewed God, the way I viewed our relationship. And I want to make sure we know the difference. And in cutting out the unhealthy part of it, there's a, a fruit that you can eat. And I can't remember the name of it offhand, but it's a wonderful, delicious fruit. But the outside is poisonous. And you have to cut out the outside so you don't die. But the inside is delicious. And if you know what you're doing, it's delicious. What I heard, I've never had it, but I've heard about it. And it's very similar to grace, the word grace. The word grace is used by many people, but when they say it, many people mean different things. And that's why it's so important that we learn our definition of grace and we know the difference between an unhealthy version or the healthy version. Because we don't want to look at a beautiful fruit and hear it's good and wonderful and bite it and learn that part of it has to be cut out first or it will destroy you, kill you, or or really just make you ineffective for the gospel. And there's a lot of both going around in our Christianity. Uh, some great, wonderful teachings of grace that are so healthy and so important. And then there's some unhealthy parts of grace, a smaller part by far, but it is dangerous and could ultimately take someone out of their salvation. So I want to start in the book of Galatians today. We're going to learn a little bit about the healthy grace and then go into some of the unhealthy versions of grace. The healthy grace is really that God is my strength. God loves me. God is for me, not against me. And the heart of that grace is that you are born into the family of God. It's taken me years to learn many things, and I wish I learned, I could know this when I started, but I wasn't taught this when I started serving God. Thank God I know it now. Let's start in uh, Galatians 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here's verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So I want to stop there because there is a message of grace that Paul is saying is foundational for a New Testament Christian. 
a message of grace that is foundational. And what was happening to the church in Galatia, that gospel of grace was twisted by adding things to it. And Paul is saying, I'm marveling that you have turned away from the message of grace that I preached. So let's be clear that there is a very powerful, authentic, beautiful, incredible message of grace that is right in the middle of your Bible. Right in the middle of our gospel, we have to understand grace. Sometimes when we come out against the wrong part, the the radicalized part or the unhealthy part of grace that has been twisted, it can almost sound that we are against grace or, or that some preachers are against grace. But no one should be against grace. They should, we should all be for grace, but the proper understanding of grace. And I want us to try to get that knowledge in us today to help us to know the difference. Because without grace, I wouldn't be here today, or you wouldn't be here today. Grace is powerful in our life to change our life, to help us to never give up on our calling, never give up on pursuing holiness or overcoming sins or sickness or disease or poverty. Grace is so important for us to really capture in our heart, the healthy part. And if you have a heart, I believe, to really pursue God, you'll have a hard time maybe accepting some of the unhealthy versions of grace. The heart of grace is this. I'm going to jump over to chapter 3. And this is what allows grace. And this helped me when I understood this. See, in the Old Testament, there were many laws, for the, only for the Jewish people, not for the Gentiles, because God gave them the laws so that they could see Christ eventually. All the laws, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. Jesus fulfilled all the laws in his life as the, so that would make him legally be the Lamb of God. So Jesus fulfilled all those laws, but the laws were given to the Israel people so they could bring Christ to the world. God could bring Christ to the world through them. But once Jesus came, those laws were not important. I'm talking about the 613 Levitical laws. What you eat, what you wear, how you worship, how you fellowship, how you serve God. I mean, there's 613 laws. Every part of your day is surrounded by laws and telling you how to act. But once you're born again, you receive a new nature, and God wants that new nature to tell you how to act, not an external law that you're trying to obey or behave to. But from your new nature, you begin to grow into the knowledge of God and overtake everything that isn't God in you. The Jewish people before Christ were given instructions by God. And understand, they were the only real people in the world at the time who had a covenant with God where they could actually feel God, see God, hear from God, be connected to God as a nation. So they experienced God. They got to know God at the Red Sea. What an experience that was. Manna showing up every day. All through the Old Testament, you see God talking and working with the Jewish people incredibly. But once Jesus was glorified, once Jesus died, we see that the temple, the curtain at the temple that divided the Holy of Holies, and that's what the high priest would go into, the Holy of Holies was ripped in two. 
that was saying God's not there anymore. You can't find God in the Levitical law anymore. The Levitical law, the law in the Old Testament was to bring us to Christ. But now that we have Christ, we can find God through Christ, but no longer through the Old Covenant. And what was happening was as the message of Christ as a Savior was going forward to the Gentiles, some of the old Jewish people had mixed salvation through Christ and brought over some of the old laws into their their relationship with God in the New Testament and were mixing them. Things like what you eat, circumcision was a big deal. And so when Paul left town which is usually when the sneaky preachers come in, when the main pastor is out of town. When Paul left town, these Judaizers came in and were reinstituting some of the old covenant laws to these Gentiles who never had laws like that. And there, there were such good preachers, they were talking these Gentiles into being circumcised, to changing their diet, And what they said was, I am a a son of Abraham. I am a legal child of God. My nation has been called to that, and I'm coming to you Gentile here in Galatia, and I'm going to speak for God to you, and I'm going to tell you that you can come to God with us. You're going to be brought into our vine. You Gentiles are now cut into us as the children of God. We are the first children of God. So we're going to bring you into our vine and allow you to come and find God through us. And we'll accept that you're allowed because you're not born in Israel like us. But only if you add these few things, and those things are going to be no more eating pork or shrimp or strawberries and I mean I'm sure there's thousands of things they had a list of what they couldn't eat it started at no more eating pork and ended at being circumcised now can you imagine talking full girl man into being circumcised that's a pretty you're a pretty good preacher if you can do that and these guys were so convincing they had turned this group that Paul had trained from the start so everything they had was pure from Paul's heart about God, without any of the Old Testament Judaism rules mixed in with it. And that's why Paul said they're they're preaching another gospel. It's the same gospel that talks about God. He calls them bewitched in here, and that they're following a different gospel that is diluting the power of the grace of God. And what usually dilutes the power of the grace of God is when you think that I have to add something to it to earn it. And so I'm going to do these things to earn God's favor. I'm going to do these things to earn God's love, to earn God's grace. That is the danger of that twist of the law. And the power of the grace of God says, I can't earn anything. I don't deserve anything that I have been bought for and paid for by His love and by His grace So all that I have is because God loves me. All that I can do is because God loves me. I can't earn it. It's too important. It's too valuable for me to even try to earn it. I can only receive it for free because of what Jesus did. And the heart of understanding grace is this. In the Old Testament, 
God had made covenants. God the Father made covenants with many men. And a covenant means everything I have belongs to you. If we're in a covenant, and everything you have belongs to me. So I have a right, if we're in covenant, to come over and to your fridge and take whatever I want. And you have a right to come into my bank account if you need something and take what you want. In, in many nations, tribes, they do a blood covenant. And there's always blood. The covenant, word covenant means cut of blood. And so some tribes, they would cut their hands and shake it, and they'd mix their blood. And the two tribes wouldn't necessarily become one, but they, they became equal. And what that meant was if you go to war, you have a right to expect me to come to war with you. My tribe will come with you. And everything I have belongs to you, and everything you have belongs to me. That is a covenant. But in the covenant, it also has stipulations. And if you break the stipulations in the covenant, that nulls the covenant. The covenant is done. It no longer is valuable. It's no longer working. The covenant is over because one of us broke the rules of a covenant, much like similar to a marriage today. And so God tried a covenant with Noah, with Adam, maybe, you know, after Adam fell. He tried a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac. There, you can see in the Old Testament many, many covenants between man and God. The problem was man could not keep their end of the deal. They would constantly, every one of them, every single covenant that God made in the Old Testament with men, man failed. And that broke the covenant. God never failed, but man failed. And the covenant was broken and ineffective. And God made covenant with all these men, and man always broke it. Now the heart of grace is the understanding that we, as New Testament saints, do not have a covenant with God. We don't have a covenant. We have a birth certificate. A birth certificate is much more powerful than any covenant. And so what happened was Jesus the man fulfilled the covenant with God the Father. So they made a covenant together. Jesus the man, he made a covenant with God the Father, or God the Father made a covenant with Jesus the man. Then Jesus also became the high priest to oversee the covenant. Then Jesus also became the Lamb of God who shed his blood to seal the covenant. I have a message on Hebrews where I talk about Jesus, the one man show. How Jesus became every part of this picture so that it can never fail. Not just fail then, but fail for the rest of eternity. So basically, Jesus became and fulfilled the covenant, shed his blood to seal the covenant, and became the high priest to mark the covenant. He became everything. And what that meant was because God the Father and the man Jesus now have a covenant of relationship between man and God that is now sealed forever by the blood of Jesus, that covenant can never be broken. So you and I, we do not have a covenant with God. Salvation is a birthing, and it's through that covenant. My salvation is because of that covenant between God the Father and Jesus the Son. 
And that means that I, it allows me through Jesus, through accepting Jesus, to get that new nature in me, which means I am now born again. I was born the first time of my earthly family, but I was born again, born the second time of my heavenly father. I now do not have a covenant with God. I have a birth certificate that says, I am a child of God. Which means, and this is what's why the grace is so important, the part of grace that's so important, so healthy to know. There are some churches where uh, they're very strong on holiness, and I want us to be very strong on holiness. But they start on the outside changing it, instead of starting on the inside changing outward. They have services where you have to get saved every Sunday. And you'll hear preachers say, I know you messed up. I know you did. You're not perfect. Get up here and, and, and cry out for God for your salvation because you lost it when you made that mistake. And they're covenant thinkers that because you lied, exaggerated, you know, I make fun of people. I never lie. I don't either except on my driver's license when it asks for my weight. Let me see your driver's license, and I'm pretty sure I'll catch you, <laughs> you know, or your height or whatever. You know, there's that's an exaggeration. Your covenant, you, you're gone. Your covenant's broken. You broke the covenant. You exaggerated. And so now you're going to hell unless you repent. So many Christians live this horrible cycle of life of always failing God, always feeling that because they failed God, because they missed the mark, that they are now no longer part of God. And that's a horrible way to live. And grace rescued me from that. Understanding grace, the healthy grace, rescued me from that. I had good preachers who preached very good on great things, on healing and many things. But yet you'd hear them say things like um, silly things. If you don't tithe, you're going to hell. Wow. And silly things like, you can give faithfully, come to church faithfully for 50 years, but if you have an evil thought run through your mind and you don't get rid of it and you dwell on it for too long and you don't repent, I should heard this preached many times. You can be in church today, giving faithfully, been here for 20 years faithfully, giving every Sunday, get in your car and have an evil thought and you do, don't kick it out of your mind right away. If you die in a car wreck before you repent, you're going to go to hell. And that put fear in me, like, wow, i got to be so perfect. I mean, I was repenting 20 times a day and repenting at night. God, forgive me for the sins I didn't know I did in case I did something I didn't realize. I don't want to, I don't want to die and go to hell. And, and see, when we understand that we're not born through by covenant, we don't have a covenant with God. Therefore, we can't break it. We can walk away from God, but He will never walk away from you. We don't have a covenant with God. Jesus had, has the covenant with God. And that covenant is now sealed by the blood of Jesus, marked by the high priest Jesus. Now God the Father is with the human race, with men, at peace. We can be saved from the human race into His family. Now, where we want to ever be afraid of God, fearful of meeting God, is if we're not born again. But as children, we should never have a fear of God's anger towards us, because we are His child. He is for us, not against us, because we are birthed 
through the covenant that Jesus has. That means that the covenant sealed. Jesus was perfect in every single way. That means if you have a bad day, if you make a mistake or are struggling with an area, that you don't lose your salvation just because you stumbled. Because there's no covenant between you and God. That covenant is already sealed between God and Jesus. We're born, birthed through that covenant and because of that covenant. But you and I don't have a covenant with the Father. We are His child, born of Him, birthed of Him. And any parent will tell you, my kid ain't perfect. And I've had many times with my son, he is like a a racehorse, always going. And there's been times where I've disciplined him, times where he missed the mark on chores and different things, times where he knowingly tried to get away with something and I caught him, busted him and had to punish him. And in all the discipline and even the mistakes that he's made, and he's a great kid, I mean, compared to most of us, but even in those mistakes, there's never, ever, ever, ever been a time that my son, even after he's in punishment or in discipline, has never thought for one moment, even when he did things on purpose and got caught, not for one moment of his life has he ever felt, thought, comprehended, considered, I really messed up. My dad is going to disown me, kick me out of the house, not feed me. There's nothing more pleasurable for me to see with my kids where they get in trouble. And then at the dinner table, they're eating eating away because they know their family. That their dad doesn't stop being their dad because they miss the mark. And that is probably the most important part of grace that you can understand. Because of His grace, you're free to be His child, even in your mistakes. We can walk away from grace. And there's two ways to walk away from God and walk away from grace. The one way we know of, and we'll talk a bit about that today maybe, or tomorrow, or next meeting, I mean. One way is through sin. See, if you play with sin too much and allow it to live, and that's kind of what began to happen in some of the churches was, and we'll read about that in 1 Corinthians, kind of what happened was, oh, I am a son of God, a child of God. That's what Paul taught. And then it got twisted to, I'm allowed to live freely in sin and not confront my flesh. And ultimately, if you play with that too much, it can take you away from God where you give up your salvation. Not that God cuts you off because you just sin too much. But you give up your salvation because you build a whole idea of unhealthy grace that says, I am loosed to play with my flesh and allow my flesh to do what it wants, which is not what the scripture says. It's not even what Paul taught, that we're not to allow sin to abound Because we understand His grace, we are to confront sinful actions in our life, unholy actions in our life, and begin to walk holy and choose holiness. But that had happened in the 1 Corinthians church, where there was much sinfulness going on in the church while they worshiped God. So sin is a way that you can walk away from the grace and the love of God 
and salvation. If you play with it too much, you will come to a place. If it's, you might come to a place where you'll have to choose your sin or salvation. And if you're not careful, you won't care to be saved anymore. You'll want to go with the sin. And that happens to some people. The other way, the second way you can lose your salvation is what Paul is confronting here in Galatians, is not sin of the flesh, but sin of religion, where they had, Paul was telling them basically, you can give up your salvation by trying to earn it through the law, through legalism. And I know a number of people who have been really enticed by legalism. Because what most Christians don't understand about your outward man, about the flesh, is that your flesh can love sin. Your flesh can enjoy worldliness and all the things that we know from Sunday school we're not supposed to do. The smoking and drinking and, and fornicating and all those things. Your flesh can absolutely drive people to chase those things and we're supposed to be chased and stop those things. But what many Christians don't know is that your flesh also can go the opposite way and love religion and enjoy religion. Think about all the people we know we hear of that are not born again but are completely devoted to religion. They live a lifestyle for most of their life where they Maybe don't talk. We know monks. We know many people of different religions who aren't born again, who are happy to live that life of religion because your flesh wants you to be under a covenant. Because a covenant means I'm in charge. My flesh wants to be in charge. If I want more of God, I just got to be good and I get good in return. But if I choose to walk away from God, I can be bad and get evil in return. And so there's something about religion that really entices the flesh to say, oh, this is great, I can have a relationship with God. And when you're born again, your flesh wants to have a relationship with God, but God's not the father of your flesh anymore. He's the father of your spirit, and he wants you to mortify your flesh, not to make a way for it. Your flesh does not go to heaven with you. Your flesh does not go into eternity. In fact, God has made a way for us to receive a new body, an eternal body, to replace this outward body, one that is of God and of perfection, that doesn't age and doesn't desire sin. But until then, we're responsible to put our flesh down and not be ruled by it. I'm going to read over in chapter 3 here, just a few verses. And so Galatians is talking about a grace that is contradicting the law. And the law is not standards. I've heard many people who misunderstand grace and quoting from unhealthy grace ideas. Hey man, you can't judge me. I'm not under the law. And all you did was say, you need to be holy. Oh no, no, no. That's legalism. You're just legalistic. You're not free like me. And they misunderstand it that what they're arguing for and what they're trying to free is not themselves, but they're trying to free themselves from the fight of the flesh. And so they're making a way for the flesh. The law here is not standards. You have to know the difference between the law, which is in Scripture, is talking about mainly the Levitical law, the 613 rules and regulations that the Israel people, Jewish people, had to live by 
we're free from that law. But you're not free from the standards of holiness and love and character and maturity. That's standards. That's not law. That's not legalism. Uh, one guy said to me one time, you're just too legalistic. I have one friend who's a preacher in, in an unhealthy grace area, and, and they called him Moses because he had standards. You know, standards of love, standards of caring for people, not using people, standards of holiness. And they begin to tell him, he's, you're under the law. You're like Moses, Mr. Legalistic. And I got to help him by saying, no, you're giving standards of what we should live by. And they were trying to run away from those standards. We'll get into that in another session. But this, in Galatians, is really a message of the grace versus Judaism, where they were bringing in legalistic messages from the Old Covenant and mixing it with the grace that Paul taught. And Paul, he would have none of it. He was not going to let them destroy the powerful message of grace by trying to bring in law to it. So I'm in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of man, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So there's a covenant with God and the Son that you and I can never add or take away from it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this is him arguing against those preachers, because they came and said, we are the seed of Abraham. The promises of God are to me, because I am a seed of Abraham. And they could show you their lineage all the way to prove that they were, Abraham is in their family history. And they were saying the promises of God is for us. And so for you to go with God and go to heaven, you're actually going to have to be inserted, you know, like put into our vine. In other words, when you take a a branch, you can cut into the vine and stick the branch in the vine. And that branch will become part of that vine eventually and, and take the nourishment of it. And they were saying to the Gentiles, we will bring you into our covenant with God Uh, Because we are the seed of Abraham, and you're not. But we will allow you, to, through Jesus, to be cut and brought into our covenant. But the only way we'll accept that is if you change your diet and get circumcised, and everything in between. And here Paul is saying, no, the promise to Abraham was not to his seeds, plural, like not to the, the children of Israel. The promise to be a child of God, was to Abraham's seed, singular, meaning Jesus was the seed of Abraham's faith. And because of that, he is the covenant. He is the seed, the heir. And you have to be birthed through Christ. You can't make a covenant with God because you will fail. So he's trying to help the Gentiles here to be free to walk with God without the legalism of the Old Covenant. Let me go over to chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. 
because he was to be blamed. Now, this is a, an apostle showdown. Paul, when Peter came back to Antioch, Paul got in his face and talked to him. It's funny when you watch social media and you have, like, family drama. Most people don't share their family drama. But some people, one in the family usually spills all the beans about what's going on behind the scenes between them and their husband or their wife and kind of like, oh, I can't believe I'm getting to read all this behind-the-scenes stuff and uh, on social media, and they expose the whole drama. You're reading it and go, wow, I can't believe that. Well, that's kind of like this. You know, Paul wrote in the Bible, in his letter, which became the Bible, this drama, and we get to see it. Verse 11, chapter 2, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before a certain man came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So Peter was in this church with the people eating all the foods that Israel was not allowed to eat under the Old Covenant, having probably a barbecue with pork, grilled shrimp, all that good stuff. And he was happily eating with the Gentiles in Galatia. And then when these Judaizers came, Peter withdrew himself from them, stopped eating with them, said, no, I better not not participate. And so Peter withdrew himself. And Peter here is very dangerous because Peter opened the door, I believe, for these Judaizers to begin to mix their message with the message of grace. Verse 12, For before a certain man came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that you were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Here is a powerful message. Paul is saying basically that we, Peter, Jews, born Jews under the law, under the family of Israel, found God through both ways. First through the law, and then we found God through Christ. Not like the Gentiles who never had God under the law. And if we found God through Christ, salvation through Christ, we left the legalism behind, just like we're asking the Gentiles to leave their sinful stuff behind. 
But if we try to earn it, try to own it by our works of the law, then we are actually becoming transgressors again and losing. So he's proving that there is a way to lose your salvation by going under religion, by trying to earn your salvation. And Paul is being very clear here, that's not healthy for the church. And again, I've heard people say when you talk about holiness and living right for God, well, I'm, those are just works. <laughs> Especially when you start talking about prayer, fasting, you know, spending time in private worship, confessing the Word and meditating the Word of God. You know, the practical things we believe in to help us grow in the spiritual man and the knowledge of God. I've had many people say, oh, oh, brother. Brother, those are just works. Don't you know that we're not saved by works? No, I don't pray. I don't fast. That's a work. That's just a work. I just receive. I just love God and everything. I get everything. And they're not pursuing a deeper walk with God. They're just trying to be happy. God is my happiness. And that's what He's for. And they'll say, Brother, that's just works to spend those hours praying in tongues. And I have to be clear with them. Listen. It is work, W-O-R-K, to spend a few hours praying in tongues or confessing the word or to be in private worship. Fasting is a work. You know, not eating is work. Not eating is more work than eating is work. But it's not works. Works is something you do to earn something that God has already given to you. A work is something you do to help grow and build the knowledge of God in you. The reason I pray in tongues is because I want to learn more of who I am and overcome who I'm not. That's not works where I'm not trying to earn. I don't say to God, God, I prayed in tongues for four hours today. Give me some love now. I've earned it. No, we don't use our hours as a bargaining chip to earn something from God. Same as confession. We don't confess and confess the Word of God to earn our healing, to earn favor with God, to earn prosperity. We receive it by the work that Jesus did. But it is work. We work to change who we are and the knowledge of that what we have. So there is work involved, but it's not works. Works is, you know, the healing comes when you confess and confess. Not because you earned it by confessing, but because that's the fruit of confession. The revelation of God and the change comes when you pray in tongues hour after hour. Not because you earned it by giving God, here's my hours of of prayer, now change me. But the fruit of praying in tongues, which is work, the fruit of praying in tongues is that you change and transform. So there is a difference between works and work. And so... Some unhealthy grace believers believe that anything you do to try to grow in God or mature in God or change your life is works. But that's not at all what this is talking about. These works here are works under the law, trying to earn rights for salvation. And Paul is warning them that the very thing you're going to do to try to earn it is what's going to cause you to lose it. That's a powerful message. The things you're doing to try to earn your salvation are the things that are causing you to walk away from your salvation. And this is all in Galatians. It's so powerful. I'm not going to go through all of it. I wish I could, and eventually maybe we will. Let's just go down to 
oh, verse 10 of chapter 3. For as many as of, our, uh, of the works of the law are under a curse, the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So they're under a curse because they're under the law. They're trying to work their way out of it. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. Now again, he's not talking about holiness. He's not talking about standard. The law he's talking about is the old covenant. And it was legitimate a way to know God for the Jewish people. But that came to a close when Jesus fulfilled the law. That came to a close. Now the only way to walk with God is to be born again through Jesus. And that only comes by faith, not by earning it. There's nothing you can do to earn this salvation. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So if you believe that you have to fulfill a law, a legalism, in these words, for this group it was, again, your diet and the many things in between, but everywhere from your diet to being circumcised. And Paul's saying if you live by that, that the only way you have access to God is through you living by the law, then you're going to live by that. And so, in other words, you better be perfect. You better be perfect because... If you're not perfect, you break the law, the covenant is broken. If you want to have a relationship with God built on covenant, he's saying that's a dangerous thing because if you break one little bit of the covenant, the covenant is broken and you are now abandoning God. Yet the law is not of faith, verse 12, the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. So Jesus became the curse, Jesus did the works. We receive by faith. Jesus did the works we receive by faith. I'm thinking here of a a verse in Matthew 5. Let's just go there. Matthew 5, verse 17, and we'll read a few verses here. Do not think that I've come, this is Jesus, to destroy the law or the prophets. So Jesus is saying, I did not come to destroy the law. I'm not saying the law, in other words, the law had a purpose and it was necessary. It wasn't fiction, it was important. But the law was there to point everyone and to legally make it a way for Jesus to become the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And Jesus says, I've not come to destroy it or dismiss it. The law or the prophets, all that the prophecies said. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus fulfilled every law. So every requirement for you to be healed, Jesus fulfilled. Every requirement under the law for you and I to be saved, Jesus fulfilled. Every requirement under the law for you and I to be prosperous, Jesus fulfilled. Every law under under the old covenant for us to be free from sin... Jesus fulfilled. And that's why we have faith in Christ and we walk in faith. We don't earn it because Jesus already earned it. He fulfilled it, paid for it by his blood. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth has passed away, one jot or one tittle will by no mean pass until the law is all fulfilled. Verse 19. For whoever therefore breaks 
one of the least of these commandments and teaches man so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, now look, this is verse 20, for I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees, by the age of 12, had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Real quick, tell me the first five books of the Bible. I'll let you even start with the first five verses in the Bible. Quote it to me. What, you're struggling with that? How about the first five chapters of the Bible? You're struggling, just don't, don't cheat. Put your, don't cheat. Just tell me quick, What? Re- repeat. See, right now I can tell you, your righteousness does not match the righteousness of a little 12-year-old Pharisees. What good are you? How are you ever going to be with God? I mean, goodness, you're so far behind. Not like those little 12-year-old Pharisees and these Pharisees. These are the words of Jesus. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds is higher than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, don't even think about going to heaven. You're never going to see it. Well, what was he saying? That we have to get that great? We have to be that devoted? I mean, wow. Or we're not going to go to heaven. But see, what he was saying was, you'll never get there. It's impossible. You're not going to be more righteous. And what he's, the whole message here is, I... Jesus am more righteous. And so the way you become more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees is that you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And when you did, he reached into you and pulled out that dark, sinful nature. Pulled it out and replaced it with his nature, a nature of righteousness. So the reason you are righteous right now, in fact, you right now, when you got born again, the moment you were born again, even though you had a flesh, outward flesh, with all kinds of crazy desires and things that you've worked through these years, the moment you were saved, even while you were not perfect, the moment you were saved, you became righteous. How righteous? As righteous as Jesus is. Because what that righteousness came from was not by your works, but by the nature of Christ in you. It is righteousness. That's what makes you righteous, is because you have His nature in you. And they say, righteousness means I have a right to receive from God. Righteousness. Because I have a nature of righteousness, I am righteous. Not because of my works. I am righteous. I may struggle with unholiness, but while I'm struggling with unholiness, I am still righteous because I have a nature of righteousness given to me by salvation, which means that when I'm in heaven, I won't be more righteous than I am today. When I am overcome my things I struggle with, I'm not going to be more righteous than when I was struggling with them. Because what makes me righteous is the new nature. Where unhealthy grace causes problems is that we stop trying to 
overcome our flesh, mortify our flesh, and we begin to hold our flesh and justify our flesh and make a way for our flesh and make excuses for our flesh. And we are saying, this is who I am, not the righteousness of Christ. Because if you're the righteousness of Christ, you are already free from sin. You already have the ability to walk with God, but you just have to grow in the knowledge of God. Unhealthy grace says, I don't have to fight my flesh anymore. That my salvation means that I don't have to change. I don't have to grow. I got it all. The unhealthy grace message says I can hold on to my flesh. But basically you're holding on to sin, which is unrighteousness. And you're holding on to fleshly things, which are unrighteousness. And so what can happen is you can play with that so much that you will unplug the righteous nature of God that makes you righteous. Unplug it and let the enemy replace it with the nature of sin again. Therefore, giving up your salvation. That is how dangerous unhealthy grace is with sin and how dangerous unhealthy grace is with legalism. So I'm going to stop there because I'm going to preach too long here. You're righteous because you have the nature of Christ in you. Your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not because you do, but because you have a nature in you that you got from Christ the moment you were born again. And you didn't earn it, you received it by faith. So I want us to continue just learning more and more and understanding some of the terminology because when you say the word grace, everyone has their own view of it. And I don't want, because there's so many unhealthy versions of grace that's being taught, for us to belittle the healthy message of grace, which is powerful and changed my life and gave me great hope and great peace with my Father. When I realize that I am born a child of God, what makes me righteous is the nature of Christ and that the covenant is not between me and God. The covenant is sealed between Jesus and the Father. That means that I am born of God. I get to be like my son where I may fail and I'm eating dinner that night happily, freely, because I'm not kicked out of the family. And God wants us holy. God wants us live in pursuing holiness. But it allowed me the peace to know that even if I struggle or fail or fail, I'm not instantly booted from the family of God and instantly lose my salvation ten times a week. I'm born again believer, righteous by the blood of Jesus, righteous by my nature. And I am forgiven. And I ask mercy and I ask forgiveness many times. I regularly wash in the blood of Christ, (laughs) cleansing myself, missing the mark. But I am targeting holiness to be everything that I am. I'm targeting God's will to be all that I live. But I am allowing myself mercy when I don't make it perfectly because we're not all perfect yet. And because of the blood of Christ, we don't have to be perfect where we are righteous because of the new nature. Amen. Well, I'll stop there. Thank you so much for spending time with me. God bless you. We'll see you again soon.